0: Welcome and thank you for joining us on the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast, where we wanna give you tips on staying healthy and even expose common myths about health and aging so you can enjoy a healthier and active life in the amazing South Sound. Brought to you by Dr. Jennifer Penrose, owner of Penrose & Associates Physical Therapy.
1: My name is Jennifer Penrose, owner of Penrose & Associates Physical Therapy and host of this podcast. And due to covid It has not always been easy to get guests on the show. So I am going to be talking today about osteoporosis and the things you can do about it now and some things that I think are not necessarily well known about bone density, particularly those that are at risk for soft bone or have been diagnosed with softer bone. So let's dive right in. First of all, I want to say that this podcast is going to cover things that are new in this arena that you may have not heard of yet, things you can do about it now in terms of nutrition, supplements, and exercise, and what the research shows as to what is really helping with bone density. So let's get right in it. Dr. Susan Brown is a medical anthropologist and certified clinical nutritionist specializing in osteoporosis And she directs the Center for Better Bones and the Better Bones Foundation in New York. She's got more than 25 years of experience in clinical nutrition and bone health research. And that is where I'm going to pull some of this data right here, right now. She had some of these things to say about bone health and this upcoming year. So, number one, your doctor will no longer be able to tell you that it is impossible to reverse osteoporosis. So, Basically, pretty quickly here, several studies have documented the reversal of osteoporosis through a combination of nutritional supplementation and osteogenic loading exercises. And we will get into more of what those are specifically. Number two, bone density testing is going to fall out of favor due to its inability to predict fracture. So instead, Dr. Brown is saying that muscle mass testing and new technologies to measure bone strength will replace, in part, today's bone density testing. So be on the lookout for that. Number three, osteoporosis will be widely accepted as an inflammatory disorder rather than dismissed as a product of the aging process. So I don't know if you are aware, we've talked a little bit about it on previous episodes, but systemic inflammation is at the root of a lot of chronic diseases. And here we are again, basically there will be sophisticated markers of inflammation that will be used to monitor the success of bone therapies, both natural and pharmaceutical. Number four, acupuncture and traditional Chinese herbal medicine will become scientifically documented as powerful therapies for building and rebuilding bone strength in people of all ages. This is huge. We did have an acupuncturist on a previous podcast, so I hope we can go back and listen to that one. But this is really awesome news, I think, especially because so many of the drugs that are recommended for bone loss have so many severe side effects. So new research reports will document the effectiveness of ancient traditional Chinese herbal formulas for bone health and acupuncture treatments to basically work on the kidney meridian, which will be encouraged for those age 45 and older. So be on the lookout for that. Again, this is still coming from Dr. Susan Brown. Then number five, the bone building power of mindful exercises like yoga, Tai Chi, Qigong, will be found comparable to modern strength training. These exercise modalities while building bone will also be found to reduce inflammation, decrease cortisol, and enhance the rest and digest parasympathetic nervous system. And we went into that a little bit on the last podcast about managing stress during COVID. When we are stressed, there is chemicals released and cortisol is one of them, and that really does increase our inflammation everywhere. It wreaks havoc on all our systems. We want to be able to have, you know, stress in the fight or flight response at appropriate times. It's when we're staying in that response where it becomes chronic. People don't always realize it, but that extra layer of belly fat that a lot of us want to get rid of, a lot of that is deposited as a result of increased cortisol levels that just stay hanging around. So we don't want to be in a constant stress and hurry up lifestyle. And unfortunately, that is often what we are doing. So these mindful exercises cause us to slow down deep breathing meditation, they are showing to be helpful in reducing the inflammation and decrease cortisol. So this ties into what I was just saying on one of the earlier points about osteoporosis being widely accepted as an inflammatory disorder. Number six, it will be shown that it is possible to stimulate bone growth using pulsed electromagnetic field therapy devices, and these devices will be available for home use and valued also for enhancing circulation through the 70 miles of capillaries within the human body. Pretty amazing. So be on the lookout for that. Number seven, bone... Strength will be shown more dependent on the health of the living protein collagen matrix than on bone mineralization. Remember, today's bone mineral density testing only looks indirectly at the mineralization of bone. New tests of bone strength are on the horizon, and one such test will be a simple test of muscle mass, which is associated with greater bone strength. Number eight, doctors in the U.S. will follow the lead of Japanese researchers and begin checking for vitamin and mineral deficiencies as a major risk factor for osteoporotic fracture. While Japanese researchers have began assessing the status of only a few nutrients, so vitamin D, vitamin K, and the B vitamins, new research will look at all the 20 key bone nutrients and show deficiencies clearly linked to increased fracture risk. I will have a link in the show notes about the 20 key bone nutrients and I have that handout at my clinic but I will also have it there because you really should know and you can start to look at your diet of what you're eating to see if you're getting all the nutrients you need for bone or where you might need to supplement. Number 9, bone health will be recognized as a marker and predictor of overall health. Wow. Let's let that sink in. Heart and cardiovascular health in particular will be linked to osteoporosis to such an extent that those with needless fractures will be tested for cardiovascular health and those with severe cardiovascular disease will be screened for bone weakness. Number 10, the U.S. organic food market grew by 6.4% in 2017, but will reach new heights in 2020 and beyond, expanding by 25% or more. This explosion in the demand for organic food will be based on a growing public awareness of the carcinogenic nature of glyphosate which is the roundup, which... Contaminates the vast majority of our food supply. Basically, number eleven. Bone drug advocates will return to suggesting that bone drugs should be prescribed for women with an osteopenic bone density, not just those with diagnosis of osteoporosis. So, get ready for this one, because while it's true that many fractures occur in those with only osteopenia, and even twenty percent of osteoporotic fractures occur in persons with normal bone density, the real predictive value comes from looking at multiple risk factors, not. bone density. So be ready for that one. Number 12, the five or so pounds of bacteria in our gut, known as our microbiome and second brain, which I've talked on in previous episodes, and hopefully you guys have heard this before, will be proven a key player in the regulation of bone growth, maintenance, and decline. So specific probiotics and bacteria feeding pre- Biotic fibers will be prescribed to enhance the diversity and the health of one's microbiome. Ugh, this is so key. So again, I think we all know we should be eating more fiber. We should be eating more vegetables and a variety. So I, there was a naturopathic doctor that I just loved this comment of try to eat three yellows, three reds, three greens three purple blues every day. You get a nice variety. The different colors um, have different nutrients and antioxidants in them. Fiber. It's good for colon health, heart health. And here we are with bone health. <laughs> so it, it really is eat a variety of vegetables and a lot of them <laughs> at every meal. And that takes some work. That takes some doing. I didn't, I didn't grow up that way. It takes a lot of effort to get all those veggies. In my diet, breakfast is particularly more challenging than the other two, but I'm getting better at it. I love my eggs in the morning and then adding some tomatoes and spinach and avocado isn't isn't that hard. I just, you know, it's just planning ahead. Number 13, potassium will be promoted as more important for bone health than calcium. I'm sure you haven't heard that. (laughs) because that was a new one when I heard it. While many of us consume nearly enough calcium, few, if any, consume the 4,700 milligrams of potassium recommended daily. The daily requirement for potassium is nearly five times out of calcium, yet little attention is paid to this mineral found in vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds, which is positively associated with the bone density and body chemistry pH. So I think that one is a is kind of a new one. I really don't think people have given much thought to potassium. Number 14, markers of both bone breakdown and bone formation will be commonly used to assess the success of natural bone building programs. So the bone breakdown is called the as the urine NTX test and bone formation is known as the osteocalcin test, these bone density testing will be more uh, limited and more attention will be paid to changes in the markers of bone formation and bone breakdown. So you're going to see a shift away from that bone density test to some of these other tests. Number 15, This is just too juicy of a topic to only give two lines to, but anyway, stay tuned for major bone health revelations, but these really, uh, the ones I just highlighted above, I think are good awareness for a soft bone. So that's a lot to just hit several highlights. And now I want to dive a little more into the bone building key nutrients. So you can examine what you're eating and potentially if you need to supplement And then we're going to get into the exercises and what specifically in terms of exercise is showing to increase bone density. The 20 essential bone building nutrients, according to the National Institute of Health, so calcium, the recommended amount is 1,000 to 1,200 milligrams and the typical diet is usually inadequate. It usually averages between 500 to 850 milligrams. So you want to add up what you're eating for calcium in your diet and then the supplementation and see if you're getting closer to that 1200. It's important to note your body can only absorb so much calcium at one time. So with supplement, if you're going to do that, try to only have about 400 milligrams at one time and then spread it out. So I take mine morning and evening to spread it out. And then of course I have yogurt during the day. I'm not a big milk fan. I just, I'm just not. So if I, if I'm going to get my dairy, it's going to be through the Greek yogurt. Plus I'm trying to get my probiotics. So phosphorus is the next one. And that For basically adults in kind of the therapeutic range, you want to be between 800 and 1200 milligrams is the recommended intake. And I would say inadequate intake is rare, except in people that are really malnourished. Excess intake is common with use of processed foods and soft drinks. So you'll have to look at that. Magnesium is next and magnesium is something that most of us are deficient in. And there's a lot of other reasons to take magnesium. It helps with sleep, muscle stiffness, muscle cramps, headaches, just irritability. It definitely has a a player in so many factors. And basically 50% of us are deficient in magnesium. So it's one that I, that's one I like to take. Um, it helps with my sleep regulation. So the common therapeutic range for bone health for daily intake is 400 to 800 milligrams so you're going to want to look at what you're eating and then add it up. But basically the take home on that one is most of us should probably be supplementing with that. Definitely check with your doctor to make sure, you know, any kind of supplement you add isn't going to interact with your medications. So, you know, hopefully you can take some notes on this and then revisit with your doctor what is okay to save if you're on other medications. Chromium, um, that common therapeutic range for bone health daily intake is 200 to 1,000 MCGs. And that commonly the intake in the U.S. is 50 or lower. So our diet doesn't really give us enough typically, unless you're really good about you know, eating nine to 12 servings of vegetables a day, and you're not eating the typical American diet. So the they call the American diet, the sad diet, if you haven't heard. So <laughs> we're, we're full of processed food, sugar, you know, white breads, ripe pastas. Um, so if you really aren't eating white breads, white pastas, you're not eating processed food, you're not eating a lot of sugar or alcohol, then, okay, you're, you may actually have enough in your diet. So you just need to kind of look at that. You can go online and and definitely find pretty easily if you're eating certain vegetables, what kinds of nutrients are coming from those, or you can even type in chromium, what vegetables to eat, and it'll tell you. So, I mean, you can start to... Yes, this is going to take a little bit of work um, on your own to kind of figure this out, but it's worth it. Silica is the next nutrient. So this one, the common range for bone health, five to 20 milligrams intake is significantly higher in men than in women. Yet generally, silica is the first element to go into food processing. So again, if you're eating a, a, a diet that's high in processed foods, then this is not going to be there. So you kind of have to look at that. Zinc, and zinc is so important right now with um, just protecting your immunity, but it's also helpful for bone health. So the average intake for most of us is between 46 to 63% of the recommended daily um, amount. Um, So it is common to be deficient in zinc. So we want to be between 12 and 30 milligrams a day. So you do kind of want to look at your diet and then see if your multivitamin has some in it or, or that, you know, what you're doing for supplements, manganese as well. Generally the intake is inadequate. Common range that you want to be is two to 10 milligrams, copper. I mean, some of these probably surprise you. You may not have heard like these are all the bone building nutrients. Seventy-five um, percent of diets fail to contain this. The average daily intake of copper is low, so kind of something most people haven't thought of. But it's, it's you know one to three milligrams is what the therapeutic range is for bone health. Boron, again for bone health, somewhere between three to five milligrams, and it's just one of those things that the daily intake is usually lower than that. Just If you're eating, like I said, a diet that's more processed and not a lot of vegetables. So kind of look at your diet and add that up with your supplementation. Potassium, we talked about how important potassium is. You want to be in that 4,000 to 6,000 milligram range. So look at your diet for potassium and your supplements and see where you're getting for that. The next one is strontium, S-T-R-O-N. T I U M. So again, the common range is three to 30 milligrams. The daily dietary intake thought to vary from one to 10. So you'll have to look at, at that. Some key vitamins that are needed for bone health, vitamin D, vitamin D is important. It's also important for immune health. So, but for bone, you know, the common therapeutic range for bone health, 800 to 2000 IUs and up I take 5,000 IUs a day. My grandmother had osteoporosis and I have some genetic markers that I had some gene testing done to show that I don't t- uptake enough vitamin D. And so it's one of those where I'm a little more alert and my blood work showed I was on the low end of normal. I was in the normal quote range, but on the lower end and I am I don't want to risk that. So that's what I end up taking. So you definitely want to, look at your vitamin D, um, and know that it also acts as a hormone in a sense, and it helps protect your immunity. So I definitely, the vitamin D is key in my world. Vitamin C is also needed for bone health. You want to get somewhere between 500 and 3000 milligrams. Average daily intake is probably 95 for women and 107 for men. So we basically, about a third of the population is low on vitamin C. So vitamin C, I think we all know is is very important for immune health too. So vitamin A is next. And that one, 44% of the U.S. population has an intake that's too low. So the therapeutic range for bone health is 500 IUs. So kind of look at that on your diet and uh, supplementation. Vitamin B6, I think most of us have heard some talk of the vitamin Bs and how that helps with energy, brain function, and most of us are inadequate in our vitamin B consumption. So B6 in particular for bone health, you want 25 to 50 milligrams. For B9, which is folic acid, you want to be between 400 and 1,000 MCGs or 0.4 to 1 milligrams. So you you definitely need to look at that. Vitamin B12, 150 to 1,000 MCGs, and up to 40% of the population is marginal with B12 status. And Older people and vegans are especially at risk for being low. So take a look at that. Vitamins K1 and K2. K1, you want to be at 120 for men and 90 MCGs for adult women. K2, that's definitely... Helpful to use the calcium correctly for the bone health as well. Other nutrients that you need for bone health, fat, the common therapeutic range for bone health, daily 20 to 30% of your total calories. Is what you want to have. So, you want healthy fats. I should probably <laughs> specify that, but I guess I sort of assume that people know that. And then protein. You definitely want to make sure you have enough protein for bone health. So, that in terms, it goes by weight. So, 125 pound person, you want 45 grams of protein. 175 pound person needs 63 grams of protein. So, it, it does vary a little bit on that. Um, so, basically between one and 1.5 grams per kilogram of weight is kind of how they write it out. So higher protein intake should be balanced with higher level of potassium So that's kind of an important thing to look at. But I think sometimes people just don't always realize all these different things that are important for bone health. So I kind of cruised through that, but I do have a handout on it if you would like it where it specifies everything I had on there that can be helpful as a resource. We are going to take a quick pause and break to hear from our sponsor, and we'll be right back.
0: As a listener to the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast, you can attend one of our Penrose Posture virtual classes for free right now. This class incorporates many of Dr. Fishman's yoga for osteoporosis poses, balance yoga poses, and overall posture poses and exercises. To take advantage of this opportunity, just mention this podcast when you sign up for the event. You can sign up by contacting us at 360 456 1444. That's 360 1444 or online at PinrosePt.com. And now back to the show.
1: Okay, for this last part of the podcast, I want to go more into body movement and questions I get from patients as a physical therapist and what the research shows with exercise and improving bone density, probably the first thing that patients come in with when they've been diagnosed with soft bone is I was told not to bend or twist. So how am I going to do life? And what does that really mean? So first of all, I think a lot of people don't realize that to get through life, like making the bed, putting your socks and shoes on, emptying the dishwasher gardening, bending down to pick up your little dog or your pet or fill their (laughs) dog bowl with food and water. There's a lot of things that we do that require bending and stooping. So how do we, how do we do life? One of the first things we teach our clients is how to hip hinge. And when you hip hinge, you bend only at the hip. There's a way to do that to keep your spine straight, but yet be able to bend down and get to the dishwasher, the washer dryer, things on the floor, your pets, learning how to move for life while protecting your spine. And basically it's good spine hygiene. In fact, we should have taught people back in school, how to squat, how to lift, how to move to protect their spines. And it just never that never happened. I think we would have far fewer disc injuries, herniated discs, back strains, etc., if this was integrated into <laughs> how to move better and protect your back, but it's not. So it's good spine hygiene. So hip hinging is something that's huge at our office and we teach how to do that. We go over how to get down on the floor, how to bend. And so people really understand it and feel it and can get it down so that they don't risk themselves getting a fracture with how they move. So that's step one is really having a solid understanding of body mechanics of lifting and bending, getting stuff in and out of your trunk of your car, cooking, cleaning, All those basic life activities that you need to be able to do without compromising your spine. The next thing is I have people coming in saying, I really love yoga. How am I going to be able to keep doing this? And my doctor told me not to bend and twist and yoga has a lot of bending and twisting. And yet on the flip side, there's all this research showing yoga is great for osteoporosis. I don't understand how this can be. First of all, yoga does improve bone density. (laughs) However, we need to modify several of the positions. So the bending forward, when you bend forward and your back rounds, we can't do that anymore. We got to keep the back straight. So if you're going to do a forward fold, you have to hip hinge and getting down to the floor will look a little different. I teach my bone density patients or we teach them which poses we have to modify a little bit. And if you look up Dr. Fishman. Um, he did a study over 10 years of yoga on women that had either low bone density, just osteopenia or osteoporosis. There were, I think, 227 subjects from 2005 to 2015. And they followed 12 assigned yoga poses daily or at least every other day, and held the poses for 30 seconds each. So, once they learned it and got into doing these poses, it took them 12 minutes a day to do this. So, tree pose, triangle, warrior two, side angle, twisted triangle, locust bridge, supine hand of foot one, supine hand of foot two, straight legged twist bent knee twist and corpse pose. So there's 12 poses and you can find them online. Uh, Dr. Fishman has a book as well. And what they found, these women did it for 10 years. Like I said, um, and the average age of the participants was 68, 83% had osteoporosis or its precursor osteopenia they all had increased bone density. None of them had any injuries and it definitely improved their posture, their balance. Basically, Dr. Fishman was trying to find a way to justify yoga instead of people being put on some of those medications that have adverse effects. And that's basically what the study showed. So when I have people that want to keep doing osteoporosis, we need to go over how to do a forward fold differently or downward dog or child's pose. Some of the seated on the mat poses become changed to sitting in a chair doing them because the amount of flexion at the spine needs to be changed. The reason yoga is so helpful and why it works is yoga puts more pressure on bone than gravity does so let that sink in the reason is by opposing one group of muscles against another it stimulates the bone making cells so when you're doing some of the particularly the twists of the spine it's causing one muscle group to pull one way and another muscle group to pull the other way so these opposing forces that stimulates that bone density and you're thinking about where one muscle group is pulling one way and the other one's pulling another way. And they attach on those bones that stimulates the bones cells at the cellular level. It's a mechanical stress that's happening and causes a chemical reaction of then the bones doing the the cells to stimulate bone building processes. So that's really what you're going for with yoga. And it's quite a workout if you've ever done it. There's pushing down into the floor with your feet. There's pulling up. There's um, commands like widen your sit bones, push out in all directions. You're maintaining a position of where there's stretch in one direction and stretch in another. And at the same time, lengthening your spine and at the same time grounding your feet into the floor. And all this muscle contraction and activity, even though when you look at the pictures on paper, you kind of don't really understand how vigorous it can be. It has a, my vote, (laughs) we offer a osteoporosis yoga class. We just call it the Penrose posture class because there's a lot of postural stretches and things that we will incorporate into that yoga class as well as some balance, because we know how important balance is for, for people who have softer bone, because if they fall, they would could have a fracture. Really looking at the activity like yoga and breaking it down into how the person can keep continuing what they love to do. Because we also get people who want to golf and golf, if you have really low bone density in your lumbar spine with the twisting is kind of one of those things that could put you at risk. We don't want to have over rotation happening. So learning how to potentially do the golf swing a little differently, um, it might mean you may not hit it quite as far, but at least you know, if people really want to get out there and do that, they just need to be armed with the knowledge of, well, what is it about the hobby that I like that is putting me at risk? Horseback riding, unfortunately, is one of those that it just, the the bouncing and vibration, if you have soft bone in your lumbar spine, it just won't handle that. So that one is a, a tough one to work around, but most things I've been able to help patients figure out how to work around that and what the risks are. Besides yoga for bone density, um, there's more studies out there with high intensity training. So resistance training. So that's talking weights. The issue is if patients have not been doing a weightlifting routine, usually we need to start with just working on form and start with low loads. So low weights and higher repetitions just to build up some endurance and get them familiar with the movements. And then, you know, over after a month or two of that, start progressing to the point where just doing six repetitions and two to three sets of that at a pretty high weight in terms of effort. So you need to be working hard. If you're not working hard with resistance training, it doesn't stimulate the muscles enough To then pull on the bones to stimulate the bone cells to create that chemical reaction of then the bone cells creating more bone density, the whole process there. If you can lift a weight and do it three sets of 10, it probably isn't at a high enough level and even three sets of eight just may not be at a high enough level where it's stimulating what the bone density process Initially, first, if you haven't been lifting, kind of get an endurance down in your form. And then you will need to transition over to more high intensity, higher weight, fewer reps. That will stimulate the bone density. So there's definitely more literature coming out with that. Impact, so walking. The weighted vest, if you do research on wearing the weighted vest with soft bone, that has been shown to increase bone density. and You only need to wear the weighted vest. For an hour a day. It doesn't seem to do much more when you try to wear it more. That is something that most of my clients will wear on a walk. And then they will also wear it around the house if they're doing meal prep, do some squats, go up and down the stairs, lunges, sit to stands out of a chair. You will want to start pretty light with the weight. You don't want to just jump with... <laughs> A bunch of weight on there and create a fracture. So you progressively load it over time. So the first month you might just start with you know six pounds in the weighted vest, and then you work up to fifteen percent of your body weight over like a six month timeframe. So you need to be cognizant of doing this very gradually, or you could create an injury. And again, you you should be talking to your doctors, your physical therapists, of how to do this safely so that you don't create an injury. But I'm just trying to let you know there is research out there that yoga increases bone density, higher intensity training increases bone density, the impact exercise, walking with the weighted vest increases bone density. So there are things within your control that you can do and that if you aren't sure where to start... Working with somebody who is trained and educated with what movements to stay away from um, and how to teach you how to hip hinge would be probably one of the first steps. Lastly, I just want to close with some little bit of statistics that might be surprising. (laughs) Here's a myth that people believe shrinking is just part of aging and that's not true. One thing you could track for your height, you shouldn't lose a half an inch a year. If you are, then you're probably getting some compression fractures in the vertebral bodies of your the spine. I think the other thing that people don't realize is that compression fractures are usually silent, meaning you don't feel them. They kind of happen gradually. Now, sometimes you will if you do something suddenly and feel a sharper pain back there, but most of the time they are silent. Osteoporosis affects basically 54 million Americans are, are soft bones. So that includes the osteoporosis and osteopenia. 60% of people older than 55, basically. Every year, there are more spinal vertebral fractures than cardiac events and stroke combined. And uh, that one usually surprises everybody. And every 45 seconds a vertebral fracture happens. Again, most of them are silent. That is why I'm such an advocate of learning how to move correctly and improving posture because I really think our rounded slouch posture and how we move without learning how to hip hinge is what causes a lot of that to to happen if you have soft bone. Keep in mind of your posture if you're losing height. You don't want to lose a half an inch a year or more than 1.6 inches in your lifetime. There's other measurements we can do for posture where we measure if you stand against the wall, you should be able to stand all the way against the wall with getting the back of your head to the wall without tipping your head upwards or backwards. So your chin and eyes stay level. And if there's a gap there, depending on how big the gap is, will tell us if you have had likely compression fractures. Same with when you're standing, you should be able to get a couple two finger widths at least, if not more, between your last rib and the top of your pelvis. So those are some things we look at in the clinic for posture changes that indicate potential for compression fractures. So hopefully that makes you more aware of the prevalence of the compression fractures and just watching your height and your posture. There's a lot of things you can do for posture to stretch, and there's a lot of exercise you can do to help uh, strengthen those spine muscles to improve your posture. Some little fun uh, statistics I wanted to throw your way. So, hopefully, in summary, this podcast was an encouragement that there is more things coming down that are showing positive results for bone density. Uh, That should encourage you that you're not necessarily stuck with just the medication route, that you can do things with your diet, supplements, acupuncture, that there's going to be more accurate tests, that osteoporosis is (laughs) an inflammatory disease, that we should really be watching our diet more than we are, and things that you can do for bone building successfully so we do have like i said a class that we offer but if you are not local then definitely reach out and see what resources you have in your own community so thanks and keep working on eating more veggies move more often and enjoy our beautiful um, south sound area
0: thank you for listening to the stay healthy south sound podcast brought to you by Penrose and Associates Physical Therapy. If you want some free tips to implement right away on various problems like knee pain, back pain, running injuries, and many more issues, then jump on over to PenrosePT.com and download the free report that fits your needs. You will receive helpful tips right away and have the choice to email in for further questions and set up a free phone consultation. You can reach us at 360 456-1444 and info at PenrosePT.com. You can stay connected with us at StayHealthySouthSound.com and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll see you next time on the Stay Healthy South Sound podcast.